Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 111 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Shane Half NFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. Mark, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Uh, I was trying to get this ready and then totally forgot because we got in conversation off air. Um, but I've been obsessed with this this app called Letterboxd lately. Um, it's it's like a movie app, and you can go on and rate old movies and, and stuff like that. So I was trying to figure out what I've went and rated 700 movies that I've seen in my lifetime. 700 on a five-star scale. I was trying to figure out what my highest-rated football movie of all time was here while I was on the air. But I think it's probably Friday Night Lights. What, what's your favorite football movie, Shane? Oof. I don't know. So my my stock answer is Remember the Titans, but I would argue that it's not really a football movie. I don't uh, think it holds up as well as I, I loved it growing up, and I, I I still like it. Denzel's amazing in it. Uh huh. But I don't think it holds up. It's a little Disney fied. Yeah, right? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in a long time. That's that's fair. Uh, I loved the Friday Night Lights show. It was a lot better than the movie. I like the sh- I think they're they're very different. Like I I actually might like the movie more, but the show is iconic. Like I, I love the show, Clear Eyes, Full Hearts Can't Lose, all of it. But the, the I, I think that's like the grittiest football movie uh, of the mo- maybe any given Sunday. I guess that's up there too. But uh, it's such a gritty football movie, and the way it's shot is so in depth. Like I I love the book too. So like of, of the real story. So. Friday yeah, Night Lights I, is probably my number one. I saw your five star, your post about your twenty five star movies the other day, and uh, I, Knives Out definitely deserves to be on the list. The Dark Knight, yeah. uh, those were two. Moneyball, uh, I, I was looking at those. So does this? Does it like? So when you rate movies, does it like suggest other movies based on your ratings, or what? What's the point of the app? Um. Well, the app is like it, it can suggest stuff that. Uh, that's similar to things you like and and uh you go through other people's lists of certain genres and stuff like that and you can it has like a little section where you can go like year by year and sort it by you know whatever you want whether it be like box office or imdb rating like whatever you want to do i it's it's a lot of fun just sitting around like thinking about old movies that i like but it's really funny like i'll rate a movie uh like let's say uh you know for instance uh Ace Ventura comes up and I rate it four stars and that's just like a natural thing. Like, all right, four stars. And then I forget that I rate it. And then next, the next day it comes up as one of the movies and I go to rate it and I'm like, yeah, four stars. And then it's, it comes up and I'm like, Oh, I already rated it four stars. So it's, I'm not thinking different things at different times. It is always funny. Like I have like an exact idea in my head for each movie when I go through it's super nerdy stuff, but let's talk football. All right. All right. Let's do it. Let's, <laughs> We'll seg- I don't know how we're going to segue here, but we're going to do it. We're going to launch into, we promised last week we were going to do head coach rankings. And you might have seen uh, people putting out top 10 coach lists, things like that today uh, or over the last couple of weeks. But we're not going to cop out. We're doing one through, well, not one through 32 because there's three first-year head coaches that it's not really fair to rate. We'll probably tell you at the end, like at what point we would take them over coaches. But we're going to rank... Every coach who's been a head coach for at least a season, one to twenty-nine. 
uh, and I'm sure we'll work out some disagreements along the way. So if you guys are watching live, uh, be sure and drop us a comment. Let us know what you think of these rankings. If you are listening later on an audio-only format, there will be graphics. We're going to be doing this on screen. It might be easier to track. If you want to watch it on YouTube, we'll tweet the graphic out as well. So, uh, Mark, I'll pop this up here on screen. And why don't you kick us off? Let's do this. Uh, give me give me your top five coaches, and then I'll list my top five, and then we can sort of work through them. So starting at – I'll go five down, I guess. At five, I've got a surprising one, and I don't think a lot of people would have them uh, him in their top five. And I think it's disrespectful because he's got a Super Bowl ring, and he did it here in Philadelphia. I've got Doug Peterson as my fifth best coach. I think what he did in his time in Philadelphia – and not just focusing on the Super Bowl. How many times did he go to the playoffs consecutively? Was it three straight, right? Yeah. Every year, 18, 19. the first yeah. and the last, yeah. Yeah, so three out of five years he made the playoffs there. Goes to Jacksonville, takes a, what, one or two win team and goes to the playoffs and wins the division. He's got them on the upswing. They're one of my, I think they're probably my sleeper pick to win the Super Bowl this year outside of the two teams who made it last year. Jacksonville's probably my pick to make a run. Um, so I am very high on Doug Peterson, just like I was when he was here. So he's clocking in at number five for me. At number four for me, I have Andy Reid. And I know everyone's going to put him at number one because he won the Super Bowl and he's got two rings. I think he's got the greatest player in the history of the sport. And I was making an argument that um, I'm a LeBron guy, but... I think Patrick Mahomes, the gap between him and whoever you want to say, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, uh, whoever you want to say the second best quarterback in football is, I think that gap is bigger than the gap ever was between LeBron and the second best player in the NBA, whether that be Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Kobe Bryant, whoever that's been over the years. Not to make this a basketball conversation, but I think Mahomes is that good. Like I think he's on that clear of an advantage that – we're going to get to someone, and I'm sure we're going to argue about it, but number three, Sean Payton. I think what Sean Payton – I think Sean Payton's one ring in New Orleans means more to me than Andy Reid's two rings in Kansas City. I think what Sean Payton did, turning Drew Brees from a guy that the Chargers opted to get rid of to draft a new young quarterback, to go from an average quarterback, a guy who wasn't drafted – as a fantasy starter quarterback, Drew Brees, into one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And I think Sean Payton deserves all the credit for that. And I think he won a Super Bowl with a team that was historically inept for the entire run of the franchise. Um, he, he basically turned that entire franchise around. Um, and then people are going to say, oh, well, he only won one ring. The fact that that guy was keeping those 40-year-old Drew Brees teams afloat until December when Brees' arm would completely fall off, when the other defense knew that Brees couldn't throw it 30 yards. Like, that was masterful uh, game planning by Sean Payton. I'm starting to talk myself into Denver as we get closer to the year because of how good I think Sean Payton is as a coach. Um, number two for me, and honestly, this is a 1A, 1B situation. It's similar in the NBA. Greg Popovich and Bill Belichick kind of go hand in hand where they're the greatest coaches in the history of their sports. And I think they're the two greatest coaches in the history of sports. It's hard to rank Belichick with his contemporaries, just like it's hard to rank 
Popovich with the contemporaries right now because so much of it is based on the past. But what I will say about Belichick, and we've been talking about this a lot off air, Bill Belichick, the GM, is really, really hurting Bill Belichick, the coach. And I don't know if that's, like, by design. Maybe he likes this. Like, I I think there is a sick part of Bill Belichick that likes taking a four-win team and making them a nine-win team almost as much as he likes taking, like, a 12-win team and win the Super Bowl. Like, I think there is a sick part of Bill that likes that. So maybe he's doing it on purpose, which is dumb. But... I looked at this as just a football coach, and I think over the last couple of years, you can objectively say that the Patriots have overperformed the talent on their roster by at least two-plus wins, especially the year that they won 11 games and went to the playoffs only to lose to Buffalo because once you get to the playoffs, talent's going to win out. Um, so I do think Belichick's a hard rank, um, but he he's probably belongs at number one. But I have to give credit where credit is due. And everyone knows I'm a Kyle Stanahan. I'm a Kyle Shanahan, even though all that, you know, all the drama that's going on with him in Philadelphia, I kind of stay away from it. What Kyle Shanahan did last season, turning Mr. Irrelevant, literally the last pick of the NFL draft, a guy who I watched a ton at Iowa State, and I'm sure Shane did too in the Big 12. Shane, when you watched Brock Purdy at Iowa State play against Oklahoma, I'm sure he went 0-4 against Oklahoma. When you watched him play against Oklahoma, do you ever think he was going to look like a top-10 NFL quarterback for a stretch of time and you know win eight, nine straight games? Because I didn't. I mean, yeah, I thought he was going to be Joe Montana. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Tom Brady, part two. Like, I, I, It's just I, I honestly mean it when I say it. I truly think what Kyle Shanahan did with Brock Purdy last year is the most impressive coaching job I've ever seen anyone do. I, I think him taking a literal Mr. Irrelevant as a rookie and making him look like a top 10 quarterback when he's extremely limited. And then, you know, obviously what happened happened. He got hurt and they didn't have any backup plan. There are flaws with Kyle Shanahan um, in terms of his ego and getting people in the doghouse and, um, when he's involved in personnel decisions, it seems to not pan out well. But just as a football coach, I'm pretty convinced that you could pretty much line up any rosterable NFL quarterback, and Kyle Shanahan will make them at least average, which is, I think it's unbelievable. And I think if you gave Kyle Shanahan an elite quarterback that a lot of the other guys on the on the list that we're going to talk about have, it it would be watch out. All right, so I'm going to – I'll throw my one through fives out here and then just kind of talk through them. So at number five, uh, I have Mike Tomlin, a guy who wasn't in your top five. I think we'll get to him in your next chunk. Uh, at number four, I have Kyle Shanahan. Number three, Doug Peterson. Number two, Sean Payton. Number one is Andy Reid. So uh, I'll just work from the top down here a little bit. So Andy Reid, you brought up the point. Andy Reid having Patrick Mahomes. He's got the two rings, but – I'd look back at Andy Reid before he had Patrick Mahomes as well. I mean, back to his time in Philadelphia from 2000 to 2004, he had five straight double-digit win seasons with Donovan McNabb, uh, including 20, uh, excuse me, 2002 when he went 5-1 and one with a combination of A.J. Feely and Coy Detmer. Uh, obviously, it ends in an 4 Super Bowl appearance they lose. He has a down year in 05 when McNabb missed half the season with an injury. And then in 2006, he went 10-6 and six starting Jeff Garcia for half the season. 
from 2007 to 2011, he didn't have a losing season as he transitioned away from McNabb to Vic. And that's not a small thing to go from a franchise quarterback to, I mean, Vic's a good player, but Vic wasn't the Vic that he was in Atlanta. He was no sure thing. And then they did have the dream know, team year in there. Yeah, yeah, they do. That's the 2012. And so then he leaves, fired. Uh, 2013, he steps into Kansas City, who won two games the year before, and he goes 11-5 and with Alex Smith at quarterback. I thought thought Dream Team was 08 or 09, because 2012 they went 4-12, and right? Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. The the Dream Team, they went 8-8 and with Vince Young playing a couple games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes to Kansas City, a team that won two games the year before, and he goes 11-5 and with Alex Smith as his quarterback. And he wins double-digit games for four of five years with Smith, excluding 2014 when they won nine games. And then in 18, he makes the move to Mahomes, and we all know what happens. He's won 12, 12, 14, 12, and 14 games with two Super Bowls, a third appearance. And Mahomes has been a big part of his success, but he's also averaged over the course of his 24-year career 10.3 wins per season with two different teams, five different starting quarterbacks like I don't think it's fair to say that just because he didn't get the ring until he got Mahomes that Mahomes is responsible for all his success. He's been responsible or he's been so successful in so many different situations and Mahomes is what put it over the top and the Chiefs look like a dynasty now. But I think I think Reed deserves a lot of credit. Uh, and honestly, I don't think there's another coach that I would rather have in football right now. He wasn't being ranked even close to first before he had the rings though. And those rings were with Patrick Mahomes. So we can look at what he did before that. We weren't considering him this before he won rings with Patrick Mahomes. So to me, like I, I value what Shanahan did with Purdy even more than taking Mahomes to a Super Bowl. Um, I, I value what Peyton did with Breeze getting one Super Bowl there uh, more than even Reed t- getting two Super Bowls with Mahomes. And by the way, I have him fourth. Like I'm not like I'm not saying he's right, a bad right. coach. I, I'm, I'm just comparing him to the other elite elites um, and to me, I'm always going to gravitate to the guy who does more with less, kind of. And mm-hmm. maybe that's why I'll always love Shanahan, because I, I think he has been... <laughs> Kyle Shanahan has been dealt some shitty hands. Not not to curse. I don't do that very often. That was... Uh, that was That's not radio. Some that's of them are his fault, though. I mean... Uh- He's in, he's in he's in Washington as the offensive coordinator for RG3 and ruins his career being reckless as an offensive uh, coordinator. That's not fair to do to Kyle Shanahan. That's an organizational top. If anything, blame his dad for that. I mean, well, I do blame his point, dad too. Yeah, yeah, at that point, Kyle was not I Kyle was not calling the shots under his dad. Like Mike Mike was an offensive-minded guy. I mean, Kyle was there, I get it, but um I don't even consider Washington really like a part of the resume. Um yeah. was that was that where he was before Atlanta? Did he go from Washington to Atlanta? I think so. I think that was a direct move, but I'm not positive on that. And and everyone's going to pin the 28-3 on Shanahan, and I get it. And I think he would tell you that he made a couple mistakes. But, I I mean, go watch the game. A lot of it was Matt Ryan taking mm-hmm. sacks and throwing away. I mean, Matt Ryan was just played like a moron in that second half. But um, Kyle Shanahan would have done a better job if he was calling the place for himself to go out there and, and handle it. Um, but the thing I'll always say about that, Matt Ryan was an average to above average quarterback for the rest of his career. Never had any sort of postseason success. The Falcons never had success before or after the Kyle Shanahan year. Once they got to the playoffs, they would get there and lose in the first round. 
I think what he did with Matt Ryan, making Matt Ryan an MVP, Matt Ryan is the most unlikely MVP of my lifetime. What did he be? He won that at like age 33, 34. Like we had had a decade plus of Matt Ryan in the NFL. And then he became an MVP when Kyle Shanahan got his hands on him. So yeah, he blew the 28 to three, but I look at it as like, he turned a career like fringe top 10 guy into having an MVP season and taking them to they dominated on their way to that Super Bowl and then obviously they were up 28-3 and blew it but I, I kind of I still look at what he did with Atlanta overall as very much more a positive than a negative um but I understand the blemish of 28-3 yeah I, for Shanahan who's my number 4 he he's the best offensive play caller slash designer in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he builds offenses that are essentially quarterback proof, and he did it last year with Brock Purdy. He's done it with Jimmy Garoppolo. He did it with Nick Mullins. I mean, he, he's done it with a lot of guys. My, my issue for Shanahan comes down to two things. He is a bad personnel manager. There's all kinds of stories, riffs with wide receivers, riffs, especially wide receivers, because he came with a wide receiver background, running backs, uh, guys just getting in the doghouse, no reason, they're just gone, they're dead to him, and he's a bad game manager, like, he had one of the worst fourth down go rates in the league in situations that you should have gone for it last year, and it baffles me that a guy that is so good at designing offense doesn't have the confidence in his offense to pick up those fourth down situations. I think he leaves so many points on the table doing that. We're going to get to another guy who's of the same era, of the same kind of hot young coaching, offensive-minded, great offensive play caller who does the exact same thing. It's really weird. Yeah, it is. So that's kind of my issue with Shanahan. And I was surprised to have Sean Payton ranked higher than you did because I know you're a huge Sean Payton guy, but – I look at the stability in New Orleans for years, and like mm -hmm. you said, Drew Brees' arm was gone, and he was still winning games. I, Peyton, his last four years in New Orleans, won 11, 13, 13, and 12 games, and that's just phenomenal. Oh. Um, I, I know back like when they won the Super Bowl and Brees was at the top of his game, and I remember the Bounty Gate year when mm -hmm. Peyton was suspended, and I was like, that's not even going to matter. Like Drew Brees runs this team and they went from a 13 and three team to finishing third in their division and not making the playoffs. Like mm -hmm. Sean Payton is an incredible coach. Um, we'll see what happens in Denver, but I, I think, I think Denver's still not in the best place, but I think Payton is the shot to revive Russell Wilson's career. And then Doug Peterson, I have Doug Peterson all the way at three. I think Doug Peterson's one of the best coaches in the NFL. I mean, he won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia with his backup quarterback. And he didn't do it with a defense that gave up 13 points. Like, they put up 41 points with Nick Foles. And, yeah, he was scapegoated in 2020 when his offensive line and his quarterback fell apart. And maybe he could have handled things differently there. I don't know. But I know that he stepped into Jacksonville after what Urban Meyer did. And he had a top 10 offense. And you look at what they did down the stretch at the end of the season, and they were so good offensively. You look at the way they rallied in the playoffs. You watch the Super Bowl, and you see his concepts are what won the Chiefs the Super Bowl, the motion stack things. They lifted that directly from the Jaguars-Eagles games, and the Chiefs put it in, and it worked. Like He's a great designer. He is a great culture guy. He's a great quarterback developer. I think Peterson deserves every bit of uh, – credit that we're giving him both having him in the top five yeah 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. And then Mike Tomlin, I have him at number five. And I know Steelers fans, some of them are frustrated with the lack of postseason success, but this is a guy who has 16 straight winning seasons, including the end, the, the shell of Ben Roethlisberger, onboarding a new quarterback next year or this year, missing their best player. I mean, last year on Chalk Talk, we sat here going into their bye, they were two and six. Their offense was 26th in EPA and 27th in success rate. And I said on this podcast that he would have to do a historically good coaching job to get to a winning record. They went 7-2 and two after the bye and ranked 6th in EPA, 5th in success rate. And the two losses were by 7 to Cincinnati and to Baltimore by 2. Like, I know that they haven't won, you know, they haven't made deep playoff runs, but Winning records every year, that's not something that happens in the NFL. It just doesn't happen, and it's happened for the Steelers. Tomlin knows that culture. The more we find out about like Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and the fact you didn't hear things out of them when they were in Pittsburgh, I think it's a huge testament to Tomlin. So uh, he sneaks into my top five. I have Tomlin clocking in at seven. Uh, fun, fun fact about Tomlin and the Steelers in general. Um, and I'm going to get ready to hear this stat like 30 times before the preseason, Shane. Uh, TJ Watt, when TJ Watt plays, the Steelers went eight and two last year. And over the last four years, they are 36, 14 and one in games that TJ Watt plays. Hit, Tomlin's defense basically revolves around TJ Watt being a, a, an unstoppable edge rusher. Mike Tomlin is an interesting coach um my take on mike tomlin is that he's definitely the right coach to make a bad team average to make an average team good and maybe even take a good team to the doorstep of great my concern with tomlin is can he make can he take a great team and go and win a super bowl i know he did it 15 years ago um but that or I guess 18 years ago, 17 years ago. It was a long time ago. Um, but I, I do think it's reasonable to ask if he has a little bit of Doc Rivers in him where he's going to carry you in the regular season. He's going to get you to respectability uh, as a regular season team. But I don't know if he can take that team to the next step. Um, and that's kind of just looking back at the Le'Veon Bell Antonio Brown era and I know off the field I'm sure he had to put out a ton of fires that we don't even can't even comprehend now talk think, when you hear the things you do about Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger having said that but those teams were really good on both sides of the football roster wise mm -hmm. um I definitely all the, all of those years felt like they were more talented than New England and felt like they were more talented than other teams that succeeded in they couldn't take that next step in that era where Antonio Brown was the best receiver on the planet by far. And Le'Veon was the best running back on the planet. And Ben was still a top five to 10 quarterback at the time. Like I remember being at the time, very, very kind of down on Tomlin as a coach at that time. So I think Tomlin deserves all the respect in the world um, for what he's done post Ben and what he's done at the end of the Ben Roethlisberger era when he was clearly cooked. But that's why he's just a little bit behind um, that top six for me. And my number six, if we want to dip into the, to the next group here. And six and seven, you could, yeah, you can kind of 
flip-flop them here a little bit, but Pete Carroll uh, checks in at number six. What he did with Geno Smith last year is nothing short of, like, remarkable. I I mean, I did not think Geno Smith – I will say we were both on record on this podcast saying they should play Geno over Drew Locke because that was a conversation. I mean, Mm -hmm. saying that is enough to say, like, what Pete Carroll did was amazing because there were people out there arguing that Drew Locke should start over Geno. And I don't know. I feel like we're a little far removed from last year. Geno Smith was a top seven fantasy quarterback last year. Like you go and look at those numbers that Geno put up. It's unbelievable. Um, I I think Pete Carroll is just a, a, a really, really good coach. And I think that decision that he made in the Super Bowl to not run the ball and the, the interception obviously happens. I think that's probably cost him um, of a lot of credit nationally in different situations. And I think he seems to be a guy that people hesitate to give credit to. Um, And I think that that, I think a lot of it goes back to that moment. What do you think about that? Yeah. So Pete Carroll's also my number six. And I I thought they were too tied to running the ball during the Russell Wilson years. Mm-hmm. But now you see Russell Wilson last year in Denver, and you wonder if that was the right call. Like, maybe that's what had to happen for that team to succeed. And, you know, it comes out now, like, Russell Wilson was coming for his job, and the way that he held it all together is impressive. So I think Pete Carroll deserves a lot of credit. He's been around for a long time. You know, he he went from the cover three that was the dominant defense, the Legion of Boom, he, he's gone into an entirely different era of football. And yeah, the defense wasn't great last year, but they were starting Tariq Woolen, a fifth round rookie. They were starting all these guys that are young, that are rookies. And I think the defense will bounce back this year. But here's a crazy stat I came across though. Pete Carroll has not had a negative point differential in his 11 years in Seattle. Not once. Andy Reid has done it everybody's done it. Pete Carroll has not had a negative point differential in 11 years. He's consistently good in a consistently tough division. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. He gets his guys ready to play. And I remember the pre, even the pre Russell Wilson days, he went to the playoffs the one year with like the eight, the seven and nine record when they had the beast quake, when Marshawn Lynch had the famous run, even pre Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll was getting those guys ready to play. And now he's obviously doing it post Russell Wilson. And I, like I said on uh, we've said before on this pod, I think Seattle is the scariest team in the NFC to the uh, Eagles this year, and Pete Carroll is a big part of that. Yeah. All right. Let's let's get your eight through ten on the board, and then I'll run through mine too. My number eight on my board. Of course, I I just clicked off of it. So uh, my number eight on my board is the guy I was referring to earlier, who is not aggressive enough, and it's Sean McVay. Um, and I, I think Sean McVay would have been in the top five for me last year. Um, but the way that it all came crashing down and it all came burning up kind of sticks in the back of my head a little bit with McVay. And it's hard for me to kind of get over that. And I think he's going to have another rough year this year. I think McVay probably should have retired because um, that situation's brutal. And if you would have retired and you would have gone and done TV, he would have been able to pick whatever job he wanted at whatever time he wanted. Um, so... I don't. I don't have much to say on McVay. I I do think him going to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff was something at the time. And then when Goff looked bad the next year, that we were like, "Wow, what an absolute accomplishment!" 
but now we're seeing, you know, Jared Goff's pretty good. Like he was pretty good with Detroit last year. Like that maybe it wasn't as insane as we thought. And then obviously he goes and wins the Super Bowl. So that's going to keep him in the mix of the top eight ish. So uh, Sean McVay, yeah. interesting future ahead for Sean McVay. Yeah, I've got McVay at nine. So about where you have him. I mean, the, the Rams had gone 13 seasons without a winning record. And they were coming mm-hmm. off a four win season where Jared Goff was historically awful. And McVay came in and he doubled his uh, adjusted yards per attempt. He raised his completion percentage, brought his QB rating up almost 40 points in that first season. And they made the playoffs the second year, and, and then they made the Super Bowl. His first losing season was last year when he had a banged-up offensive line and quarterback. I mean, it happens. Doug Peterson's my number three, and he got fired in 2020 under the same circumstances. So uh, even with last season, McVay is 60-38. and 38. He's a Super Bowl winner, and he's been to another Super Bowl. He totally changed the trajectory of the Rams organization. And I agree with you. He should have got out last year because this year I think is also going to be really rough. I don't know that Stafford's going to play, you know, at the level he's played in the past ever again. And the team pushed the stars and scrubs and the no draft picks thing as far as you can. I think they're in for some rebuilding. And I don't think McVay's going to stick around for that because he's he's flirted with burnout before. But uh, I think he's very deserving of a spot in the top ten. And then going to number nine, it's sticking in Philly. Uh, Nick Sirianni checked in at number nine for me. And you could probably argue he belongs higher or lower. Um, He's a hard guy to rank right now with such a little sample size. But two years in, playoffs first year with a team that was expected to go, you know, I think they're over under with six and a half. And they went and they basically went nine and seven because they sat the last week. Um, and then this year they obviously go 15 and two and go to the Super Bowl. Uh, so I think that there's a lot to be said uh, about small sample size, but the sample's pretty good. Um, so that you could probably argue he belongs above McVeigh because we've seen a bad year from McVeigh and we haven't seen that from Sirianni, but McVeigh's got the ring. so that's why I ended up having him at eight. And the ring, Makes it a tough conversation. I believe everyone in my top. Oh, besides my number one, <laughs> Shanahan doesn't have a ring. But number number two through eight all have at least one ring as a head coach. The problem with that is I think Mike Vrabel, who I have at number ten, might be like pound for pound like the coach who I think would get the most out of the worst roster. If that makes sense, like I think what he's done is just insane like I, I think what he's done getting that team to afc championships and just feels like he's squeezed every single juice out of the orange of the titans roster uh, over the last couple years and um i, I think Vrabel's just one of those guys who i'd absolutely want to hire even though you know i try to hire specialists whether it be like a guy who's going to game plan you defensively or an offensive play caller i don't even know if Vrabel's either of those things it seems like guys just play for him and it, it seems like he creates a culture uh, of, of kind of toughness and winning around his program. So I, I love Vrabel. I'm actually surprised to see him that low for you. Yeah. He comes in 14 for me. I like Vrabel a lot. Uh, he drags a bad roster to the playoffs every year, it, except for last year where they lost the final seven games of the year to miss the playoffs. And I think I probably dinged him a little bit for that. You needed one win in seven games to get there. Obviously, you didn't know that the whole time, but uh, 
I thought Vrabel would end up higher on this list than he did for me. He's kind of the cutoff for me. Like everybody below Vrabel, I would want a better option. If I was a franchise Vrabel and above, I would be happy with that guy as my head coach. And so he's in that tier of, of coaches that I really like. Uh, I was a little surprised that he fell so far, but uh, you had Nick Sirianni as nine. He's my 10 and kind of the same things you said. He, he's very aggressive in game management, which I love. Uh, he seems to push the right buttons with his players. I think handing over play calling to Shane Steichen in 2021 was a huge it's an underrated move. It was huge. And for a guy to be hired as an from an offensive coordinator job to come be the coach and then realize me calling plays isn't working. I'm going to hand that off and I'm going to focus on game management and getting the game script ready. Like that's a huge move. And the ability for a first year coach to do that uh, is really incredible to me. He has a small sample size, like you said, and he's got the best GM in football building his roster. And so I think that matters. Um, so that's where I put Sirianni down a little bit. If he won the ring, if he, uh, didn't, or if he has, you know, a couple more years of sustained success, I would see him rising up, but I could also easily see arguments, uh, for him moving down. So we got a couple comments rolling in here. Uh, Daniel Evans on YouTube says if Zach Taylor isn't a top 15 coach, I don't know what to say. We'll get to Zach Taylor, uh, here in a minute. I do have some things to say about Zach Taylor uh, has to, I'm not sure what about my list makes you think I've got to be a Jets fan. <laughs> we're, we're both pretty low on salad. Not, uh, not, yeah, yeah. Oh, not having bill in the top five. Well, let's talk about bill Belichick. Cause he is in my top 10. He's not in my top five. So uh, I have bill Belichick. He is number seven on my list and I'll tell you why he's number seven on my list. I heavily docked him for the Patricia judge decisions last year. That's unconscionable to bring back a failed special teams coordinator turned head coach and a failed defensive coordinator turned head coach and then say, Hey, you're going to run our offense now. And to have your quarterback so frustrated with being given no help offensively that he seeks help outside the building. And then you get mad at him for that. Like terrible process, terrible decision-making uh, from Brady and, you know, we talked about Reed without Mahomes. Let's talk about Belichick without Brady because he's 79 and 87 without Tom Brady. Tom Brady is 32 and 18 without Bill Belichick. And people will say Brady got to go pick his team, right, in Tampa Bay. Well, Bill is the GM. He gets to pick his team, too, and he's a terrible GM. Now, maybe he should get more credit as a coach for elevating the poor roster he puts together. But for me, when a coach... Russell's control of the roster from a GM and puts himself in that position. Now I have to consider that as part of your coaching identity because I can't have one without the other. And that's going to come into play for Vrabel too, who has wrestled control from Robinson last year. He got fired. There's some things going on there in Tennessee, that power struggle. It usually doesn't end well for the coaches, but I will say this for Belichick. He's a defensive genius, but it's an offensive league and he's struggled trying to find an offensive identity post Brady. Now his defense is good. His defense was ninth in EPA last year after losing JC Jackson and Stefan Gilmore, a top duo of cornerbacks. And so, you know, if you're telling me, Hey, you got to go stop Patrick Mahomes. You got to go stop Joe Burrow in one game. Who do you want to construct the game plan? 
Belichick's probably the guy. Belichick, Lou Anarumo, those are the two defensive guys, D'Amico Ryans, that can conceivably put together a game plan that just totally rattles an opposing offense. But it's just an offensive league, and I cannot overlook how he's been post-Brady and even closer, just the Patricia Judge decision last year. So I docked Belichick heavily for that. Uh, best coach of all time? Yes. Is he the best coach in the NFL right now? I've got him at number seven. Yeah, I think that's too low, but um, I don't think, I mean, all the guys above him are really good coaches. I don't see any argument from Mike Tomlin over Bill Belichick. That's my, that's the one I would have a big, the big problem with. So just with like seven rings to one or six, six rings to one. Um, yeah. But it's hard. Belichick's a hard rank. Like I said, it's a, it's a really hard rank. He's the hardest rank on the board for sure. Um. So, so I'm assuming number eight is Harbaugh for you. Yes, eight is he Harbaugh. Comes in at for eleven me. for me. Yeah, he's number eleven for you. So here's my deal with Harbaugh. If we just look at last year, let's start at last year. He's his offense was seventh in DVOA, and almost knocked off the Bengals with a Tyler Huntley led offense. He was missing Lamar Jackson, Mr. Shad Bateman for a lot of the year. They have no wide receivers. And the offense is still good, it, nay elite. Now, if you zoom out a little bit, this guy won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco, right? Then he built a team around Lamar Jackson before mobile quarterbacks were a big thing. There wasn't a blueprint for how to run a mobile quarterback offense. Only one quarterback had ever had more than one 750-yard rushing season before Lamar came into the league, and it was Michael Vick. Lamar won MVP in his first full season as starter. And huge credit goes to John Harbaugh for adapting to that. Remember, a lot of teams didn't think that Lamar was a quarterback. There's quotes out there about the Patriots. They liked Lamar, but they knew they would have to restructure their offense if they drafted him. Well, the Ravens drafted him, and they restructured their offense, and they're a good team now, and the Patriots aren't because of that decision. And then you'd even look at the turbulence of the Lamar situation this year. I thought he handled it really well. He did. He wasn't the driving thing behind it. That Lamar's fight was not with him, but in his public facing, I don't know what was going on behind closed doors, but in every comment that he made to the media, it was on point. He handled the situation perfectly. And so uh, I've got Harbaugh at eight. You've got him at 11. So we're fairly close on him. Yeah. My whole thing with him is just like, I don't know what he does. Like he's not a play caller and the defense calls like the full shots, like the defensive coordinator. It was Wink Martindale for a long time. And obviously it was uh, Greg Roman for a long time on offense. I feel like he's just like a really good vibes guy. Like I think he's like a good dude who guys like, and I thought he handled the Lamar thing really well. Um, I think he handles Lamar in general really well. I will say like, yeah, they adapted their offense, but they also kind of – I don't think they've let Lamar loose in some capacities. Like, yeah, they've let him loose from a running side of things, but I think they've held him back as a passer in some ways. And a lot of that's on the front office. A lot of that's on, you mm -hmm. know, the guys that you're – that they're giving uh, in terms of uh, – I, I just don't – they're not, they don't have good receivers to throw to, so it's hard to blame Harbaugh for that. Um, the one thing I'll say about Harbaugh that 
I won't ever be too negative on Harbaugh. He's so aggressive. I love it. He goes for it on fourth. He goes for two at the end of games. Like, I do love that. So I, I maybe do have him a little too low. Um, but, yeah, it, some of my issues are just kind of like if I was hiring a coach, I'd hire the ten guys in front of – or at least Harbaugh Vrabel would be a tough call. But the nine guys in front of him because they have a specialty – on one of the two sides of the ball that I feel like I can just lock that down. So that's kind of why I'm higher on those guys than Harbaugh. Here's a question I want to throw out to you. Could be correlation, not causation, but Nick Sirianni, John Harbaugh, neither one call plays, right? Yeah. Both. both one, an offensive minded guy though. Like, well, hold I, on, hold on. Neither of them call plays. Both of them are near the top of the league in terms of aggressiveness. Do you think there's something to be said for a coach removing himself from the down-in, yeah. down-out play calling and focusing on the game management? Because that's something I feel like I've really liked Sirianni doing in Philadelphia, and I haven't thought about it with the Ravens. But I do think I kind of like that model of the coach stepping back and having a a wider net and eye on the whole game management. Um, there's part of me that likes it, but there's part of me that also knows it's unsustainable and you shouldn't need to rely on coordinators that are going to get hired away. Um, that's kind of the problem with that philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand it in a vacuum. I agree. You probably are better at the other facets of coaching when you're able to do that. I would say there's still probably a, a huge difference between Sirianni um, a, as an offensive guy being so involved in the weekly game planning offensively there compared to Harbaugh, who's like a special teams coach and probably more of a defensive guy than an offensive guy, I'm pretty sure, um, in his assistance before. Uh, But that's – I've always been a bit skeptical that Sirianni wasn't extremely involved with Steichen on designing those plays. And I I think the way that one of the beat writers put it is that Sirianni gives Steichen the menu and Steichen picks the food kind of. If that yeah, makes sense. and I, that's the mo- that's the model I kind of like. Yeah, I, I want yeah. him involved heavily in the game plan during the week, but in the actual game, I want him to have somebody that he trusts enough to hand the menu to and focus on the big decisions. So. Yeah, I okay. Agree. Well, we are forty three minutes into the podcast and just got out of the top ten, so we're gonna have to pick up the pace just a little bit. Mark, I'm gonna throw your twelve through fifteen up on the screen here. Uh, and we can work through them. So at number 12, you have Brian Dable. Number 13, Mike McDaniel. Number 14, Zach Taylor. And at number 15, you have Matt LaFleur. Uh, so let's just, let's work through them from the top to the bottom. You have Dable at 12. I actually have him at 11. Uh, talk to me for a minute about Dable and uh, your thoughts on him. You Another have small sample size guy. You have McDaniel 12, right? So, yeah, I, I want to just group those guys together. Dable and McDaniel are both so exciting. If you're a T, if you're like a Giants or a Dolphins fan as first year coaches, like that, they are, they seem like absolute slam dunks going forward. And I think they're both incredible offensive minds. Um, and I group them together. It's hard to rank them higher uh, above those 11 guys who've had so much postseason success and so many different successes that it's hard to rank a rookie coach. But it's hard to be more impressed than I am with especially Dable, um, but both Dable and McDaniel uh, from an offensive game plan standpoint. I think Dable is going to be a really, really annoying coach for us to deal with for a long time as Eagles fans. Um, And then Taylor and the floor kind of go together for me at 14 and 15. 
I don't I don't know how to rank these guys. Like they've they've been coaching really good teams. They've won a lot of games. They've had some postseason success. Like Lafleur went to a couple conference finals, uh, conference championships, I should say. Taylor's been to a conference championship and a Super Bowl. But I don't necessarily think either of them are doing more than what their roster is giving them, if that makes sense. Like, I think they're probably just extremely baseline. Like, I think they're probably, like, right in the middle, not going to improve your team, not going to hurt your team. Um, That's probably where I'm at with Taylor and the floor. And I'm also willing to admit that I just always, when I watch Bengals games, I walk away pretty unimpressed by the imaginativeness of the offense. It feels like they could be doing so many more interesting things than they're doing. Um, But I'm also willing to admit that Shane, especially, can be very unfair to Zach Taylor at times. So Bengals fans out there, I understand. Yeah, I'll get to Zach Taylor in a moment. Uh, So I've got Brian Dable at 11. Small sample size, of course, but he went from 32nd in offensive DVOA to 10th in one season. And he did it with Darius Slayton, Richie James, and Isaiah Hodgins, who was on the Bills practice squad as his receivers. No Saquon Barkley. Uh, He made the Giants go from declining Daniel Jones' fifth-year option to signing him to a contract. And it's not because Daniel Jones is good. It's because Brian Dable is good. And so Dable's number 11 for me. Mike McDaniel's 12 for similar reasons, 21st to 8th in DVOA, 23rd to 7th in EPA, and that's with four games of Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson. He legitimately walked into the playoffs and almost beat the Bills on the road with Skylar Thompson at quarterback. Skylar Thompson, who was a 7th-round draft pick. They went toe-to-toe with the Bills, losing 31-34 to with only 43 yards rushing in that game. Think he is. I think McDaniel is a genius. I hope Tua is able to stay healthy this year uh, because I think they're going to make a lot of noise. Uh, and then I've got Lafleur at 13. He's got the fifth winningest record in NFL history. Now he had Aaron Rodgers for all of it, and so this year we're going to find out a lot about Matt Lafleur. But he did get Rodgers to buy into the offense, and Rodgers is not an easy guy to work with. For me, the bigger ding on Lafleur is the defense. Now, he's not a defensive guy, but the the Packers or they famously spend every first round pick on defense. And they were 21st in EPA 2 years ago and 28th last year, and both times they made the decision to retain Joe Barry. And that in the same way that I docked Bill Belichick for what he did with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge last year, I docked Matt LaFleur for bringing Joe Barry back with such a talented defense that chronically underperforms. So I knocked him down a little bit for that. Um, and then I'll, I'll go ahead and put my Zach Taylor ranking up here, and I can talk about Zach Taylor. I've got Zach Taylor at number 21. Um, I, I, don't, I think Zach Taylor is not a good football coach. He's 28-36-1 in the regular season. Now, granted, those are heavily swayed by his first two seasons, and yes, he's been to a Super Bowl and an AFC title game since then, but we came on the podcast after the Super Bowl, and we talked about how he did such a poor job coaching in the Super Bowl. Like, I remember that. The offense is unimaginable. Last year, it was very much like, these are the sets that we run RPOs out of. These are the sets that we... Uh, throw out uh, there was just no blending of the offense it was fragmented um, 
I feel like he is being lifted by Joe Burrow. Like, Joe Burrow is the reason the Bengals' offense is good. I don't think it has anything to do with Zach Taylor. And then he's lifted by Lou Anarumo, a, a defensive coordinator that should have been a head coach two years ago. Like, he is such a good defensive coordinator. He does such a good job against top quarterbacks. To, if I'm being honest, the Bengals, I thought, should have gotten rid of Zach Taylor and promoted Lou Anarumo to keep him safe. Because I don't think that Taylor adds a lot to this team, but I think Big Lou adds a ton. And I think the Bengals would be in a bad place if they were to lose uh, Lou Anarumo. So I'm I'm down there on Zach Taylor. I just I'm not that high on him. That's that's gonna be a that's gonna be a running bit on the pod. I have a feeling uh, that coming this year, the Zach Taylor check in on on Shane where he's at with Zach Taylor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So then my number fifteen to run out my fifteen was Kevin O'Connell. And mm -hmm. Vikings fans would say, he had 13 wins. How is he not higher? Well, his offense went from 16th in DVOA to 20th. It went down. His EPA went from 15th to 14th. Like, I was impressed with O'Connell, but I wasn't impressed with the Vikings. I thought they were just tremendously lucky last year. I didn't think the offense was that great. Like, he stepped so into a weird situation with Kirk Cousins, and it's going to play out again this year, but... I don't know how to rank him yet, but you know we'll see. This is a guy who I think his ranking could change in either direction a lot after a couple more years. I have him. I have him sixteen. Um, Kevin O'Connell. The the thing I'd say about O'Connell, and I totally concur with you on the lucky thing. But the whole thing we're basing that in is that they won a lot of close games, and I understand that that means that the team is not as good as 13 wins. And it means that the team overperformed. Doesn't that also mean that the coach made really good decisions in close games? That's kind of where I'm at with O'Connell. Like, I think there's a chance that Kevin O'Connell might end up being like a top five, top 10 coach. Like I liked everything I heard from him in, in the interviews he did and, um, it seems like he said all the right things. I don't think that Vikings team's very good. Um, and I, I think what he did winning 13 games, even if it was completely fluky, that I'm fine with it being fluky, but it being fluky almost makes me think he's a better coach. I don't know if I explained that well. Yeah, I, I think the flukiness still just comes down to a lot of luck, but I don't think it means he's a bad coach. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I would feel optimistic about O'Connell if I was a Vikings fan. I, I think there's every reason to be optimistic I'm just not ready to put him any higher than 15th based on that one year. You're probably feeling close to how we felt about Sirianni after year one. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, look where he came in for us this year. Top yeah. 10 for both. So I think it's – and I don't think the Vikings are going to the Super Bowl this year. Uh, but I think it's very possible that he moves up significantly in this list. And another guy who is I, – I think I will make a guarantee – that when we do this pod next year, my number 17 coach will either move up this list or he will be off this list. <laughs> and it's Arthur Smith. Um, and I'm not even going to spend any time on Arthur Smith. And I think Arthur Smith is a really good play caller. I think he's a really good coach. I believe in Arthur Smith. I think he's been given maybe the rawest deal I can ever remember as a head coach. Atlanta just refuses to figure out the quarterback position. Um, at, at that at that spot, and I think I think Arthur Smith's going to get coached or going to get fired 
before we even get to see him coach a real NFL quarterback. And I think that's a shame. So um, I don't believe in Desmond Ritter at all. Um, I, I think the Falcons are going to disappoint us this year. Um, the only negative with Smith is that he has just failed so miserably with Kyle Pitts. I, I will say that. Um, but in terms of the way he schemes the running game, uh, mm-hmm. what he did for Drake London, uh, even last year, I thought London had really good moments. Um, but especially the running game, how he schemes the running game is just otherworldly. Um, so Arthur Smith, I think he's a really smart guy. I think there's a chance he's getting fired. Yeah. He's number 17 for me as well. He's elevated the Falcons above their talent level. Yeah. If he can get decent offense out of Desmond Ritter, it could be his master stroke. But if he doesn't, like you said, I think he could be on his way out as well. And I think he could be good in a different situation. So that would be a shame. I mean, that's like, uh, Hopefully, when we win the Super Bowl this year, the Eagles, uh, Johnson goes ROC goes takes a head coaching job. Uh, Arthur Smith gets fired, and we bring Arthur Smith in to be the offensive coordinator. There you go. I like it. So your number eighteen is Sean McDermott. He is my number sixteen, and he's a little bit of a difficult guy to rank too. Like he oversaw the Josh Allen transformation, which is one of the biggest improvements of a quarterback I've ever seen, but. What Brian Dable did last year with Daniel Jones does call into question, you know, was it really the defensive-minded head coach or was it the offensive coordinator that looks really good as a head coach now? And uh, I mean, McDermott made the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor. He's got a top defense every year. Last year, they lost Micah Hyde in Week 2, Vaughn Miller in Week 11, and Tredavious White didn't come back from injury until the final six games, and he didn't look great. And they still had a top-10 EPA defense. But at the end of the day, their defense doesn't get it done against the Mahomes and the Burrows of the AFC. Mm-hmm. They're too static. They're not willing to throw things at quarterbacks they haven't seen before, and I think that falls on McDermott. I think he bears the responsibility for that. So I've got him at 16. I think he's another guy, sneakily, who could be on the hot seat. Yeah, I think he is. I think he better be on the hot seat. Um, he, Yeah, I think he coaches a good defense. He's a pretty good coach. But he has shown that he is going to get outmatched when it comes down to it in big games. I, Zach Taylor coached circles around him last year. The Bengals' offense was going circles around that Bills' defense last year in the playoffs. And then I'll always go back. How many seconds did they have to, when they gave the ball to Mahomes? Was it 13 or what? what was something like that? Yeah, it was, I don't remember. Something and, like that. And you, like, don't play – prevent defense like they were like playing the sidelines and like that the off the defense they ran and i know that's leslie frazier um but i mean you're a defensive guy sean mcdermott like your season's on the line your legacy's on the line don't let that happen like i mean it's just i I always go back to that drive and how they let mahomes just go right down the field and do that in such a short amount of time um so yeah uh i I, that's what i kind of always come back to with mcdermott and Honestly, you, if you got like a couple drinks in me, you got a couple truth serums in me, I'd probably have McDermott lower. It's hard to justify having him lower because of the success he's had, especially in the regular season. But just like fully honestly, I think Kevin Stefanski and Frank Reich are probably like smarter football coaches, if that makes sense. But like it's hard just to like justify the ranking, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So you've got Stefanski at 19. I have him at 22. This is going to be a big year for Stefanski. He came into Cleveland and looked really good early. It's faltered down the stretch. This year they'll have Deshaun Watson. 
throughout the offseason into the regular season, so it'll be a quote-unquote normal year for the Browns. This is a make-or-break year for Stefanski. Absolutely. this He yeah. might have the hottest seat in football, um, Stefanski, after how last year went, which, I mean, if you're Stefanski, you're kind of pissed, I'm sure, about how this whole situation has went in Cleveland. That Watson trade immediately put you on the clock, and it seems like that guy's not good enough to get you off the clock. Um, so that'll be kind of, I mean, it's up to Stefanski to fix Watson. That's kind of his goal, but he fixed Baker Mayfield. Um, that's what I always go back to them killing Pittsburgh in that playoff game and winning a playoff game for the first time in whatever 30 years or whatever it was in Cleveland. Um, I think Stefanski did a great job that year. Um, and I think Stefanski, I don't know if the last two years are his fault or if it's just the fault of what's been going on at the quarterback position there. So um, it's, it's Stefanski's a hard rank. I think he's generally a good play caller. Um, so it's hard for me to get too upset with him. Same with Frank Reich. I mean, kind of the same thing. Like, I thought Frank Reich was dealt a pretty crappy hand in Indy with a different quarterback every single year. So uh, Frank Reich has a really, really interesting spot now to work with Bryce Young and to see if he can, you know, take a really unconventional quarterback and build an offense that we – we haven't seen Reich work with anyone even similar to Bryce Young. So that's kind of the fun part of that. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Reich does with him. And I think there's a chance that we look back at this and it's like, how the heck did I not have Frank Reich as a top 15 coach? Yeah, he did a good job with the development of Carson Wentz. Um, ultimately, he was cost his job by failing to resurrect Wentz's career in Indy. But if I'm being honest, I think Reich was a scapegoat for Chris Ballard, who just never was willing to go get a quarterback. And I mean, I, if Indianapolis, well, of course, they got Shane Steichen, so they're fine. But if they had Frank Reich with Anthony Richardson, that'd be an ideal situation. So um, Reich hasn't proven anything on his own yet, but I still think he's a good coach. And I think he's assembled a stellar staff in Carolina. And I think Carolina's going to win the NFC South this year, and Reich's going to move up this list for next season. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's go. Uh, my 19 and 20 here, I have uh, Robert Sala, or excuse me, Dan Campbell at number 19, Robert Sala at number 20. I believe you have Sala at 22 and Campbell at 23. So I'll talk briefly about these guys. Robert Sala. These uh, frauds, you mean? actually let me start with Campbell so Campbell's got a 17 and 28 career 17 28 and one career record and I know they came on at the end of last season I remain unconvinced also I think his like meathead analytics are stupid we want football players mentality is sort of taking over in Detroit and I think it in part led to their disastrous first round draft this year um I don't hate Dan Campbell I think Dan Campbell's massively overrated. Like I think having him around the 19th best head coach is perfectly uh, acceptable. Robert Sala, he turned the Jets defense around, but the offense has been awful and it takes both sides of the football to win games. So uh, I put Campbell at 19, Sala at 20. My take on Robert Sala and Matt Campbell is that that's my fraud tier. Those are the frauds. Um, the NFL media likes them because they're like fun and they say fun things, and they get excited. Um, I don't think that there's any proof that either of them are good football coaches. And Dan Campbell 
better thank his lucky stars that Aaron Glenn, his defensive coordinator, and especially Ben Johnson, his offensive coordinator, didn't get hired away because mm-hmm. he would be without a paddle if one or both of them would have been hired away because he's another guy there for vibes, brother, as he would say. Like He's not there to make any you know real decisions in terms of play calling on either side of the ball. And I know that we like that in part, but I, I just don't think Dan Campbell's really doing anything other than like being a buff jock Metallica fan. Like I, I just don't. I, I'm I'm so out on Dan Campbell. I think he's such a fraud. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, my twenty three through twenty five. I have Brandon Staley twenty three, Mike McCarthy twenty four, Ron Rivera twenty five. Uh, let's talk about Staley first. I've got him at twenty three. You've got him at twenty four. He stopped being aggressive in 2022. Uh, he, he just stopped. I don't know why, but he stopped, and it hurt his team. Uh, he routinely has a horrific run defense. But the biggest thing, he put Justin Herbert in harm's way last year in a lost game right after Herbert had a rib injury, and he's got Herbert out there in a game that cannot be won slinging the ball. And that's inexcusable to put your franchise quarterback on the line like that. I said on Chalk Talk I would have fired him that week, and I still believe that and stand by it. You presided over an embarrassing, what was it, 24-point blown second-half lead in a playoff game, and you took too long to fire your buddy Joe Lombardi, who everybody knew for years was an awful offensive coordinator. So Staley, I'm out on. I've got him at 23. You've got him at 24. Yeah, I'm shocked. That's one of those, like, you were shocked to see you're higher on Peyton than me. I was shocked to see I was lower on Staley than you are, because I know you're not a big Brandon Staley guy. Um, Yeah, Brandon Staley says all the right stuff to make me kind of like him more, but, like, his decisions are just, yeah, it's it's tough to defend. Um, The Chargers have just been so massively disappointing, Um, and a lot of it's had to do with injuries. Some of it's had to do with Justin Herbert being a fraud, but you know that's just another that's another discussion. Uh, no, I'm that's a discussion for um, QB rankings podcast. Yeah, yeah. When Shane ranks him second above Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts and with zero playoff wins, um, I'm joking. But I don't even know who I have 21. I, I'm like you have staring at this Mike list. McCarthy 21. I have him at that 24. That feels high. <laughs> that's what I'm I thought. At, <laughs> I'm looking at it in plain print and I'm like, man, that that's well, high. He's got the thing is, like, ring, so it's they like ha- he's got a ring, back-to-back 12-win seasons, but routinely fails in the yeah, playoffs. And his 12-win seasons yeah. have been boosted by a poor conference. But my thing for Mike McCarthy, and this is why I put him below Brandon Staley, as recently as this offseason, discussing the departure of Kellen Moore, the mutual departure, he said Kellen wants to light the scoreboard up but I want to run the ball so I can rest my defense being a head coach and being a play caller. You're a little more in tune. And I don't know what he's talking about, but he is in tune with the 1980s, not with how football is played in this era. And I think the Cowboys are going to take a big step back without Kellen Moore. And it's going to ultimately fall on Mike McCarthy. Did you hear his quote? Like he, he really buried Kellen Moore this week. Did you see all that stuff? No, I didn't. Oh, I should have sent it to you because I know that that would have gotten you fired up. He really buried Kellen Moore and talking about like, well, you know, the guys are just really excited because now we get to play football the way we want to play and we get to run offense the way it's meant to be run. It's like, oh my God, dude, you were first in points two years ago. 
you were second last year and you were fourth the year before that. Like, and someone asked him like, so would you say that your offense the last couple of years, which has ranked first over a three year sample size has been disappointing. And he said, we didn't score the way we wanted to score. What are you what are you talking about, dude? Like I'm just what, remembering all the Cowboys fans saying that Jalen Hurts rushing touchdowns doesn't count. <laughs> when you say we didn't score the way we wanted to. That's just unbelievable stuff. I I'll Mike McCarthy is a legend for making a big deal out of the fact that he got a PFF subscription and started crunching numbers and watching a bunch of game film and grading uh reps for guys. And then when they asked him about it in his introductory Dallas press conference, he goes, yeah, you know, sometimes you say things and you put things on the resume that you think will help you get the job. It's like, oh, my God, you just got hired, dude. Like, you can't say that. Apparently you can. Apparently He's, you can. I mean, what a legend. <laughs> By the way. And then, oh, go ahead. I mean, I know that the food is good in Dallas. And this is not a, not a, not a fat-shaming podcast. But, man. Mike McCarthy's really packed it on. <laughs> you have to take that into consideration. I'm just going to throw it out there. All right. And then at 25, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm skipping past yeah, that one. Yeah. 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 At 25, we both put Ron Rivera. I mean, Ron Rivera hasn't done anything in Washington. Granted, Washington is not the easiest place to do anything, but to be honest, the rest of this list, I don't have much to say about it except for my bottom guy. So <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of thoughts. Just, you don't want any of these coaches to be your head coach. So let's round out our list here. I, uh, I ha- So I have Rivera 25 there. I think you could argue he should be even lower because I think when you have Rivera, you're signing up for the fact that you know that you can't be anything more than mediocre. He's had one season or one season of uh, or two out of 15 or whatever it is of winning seasons, at least with McDaniels, Bulls, Allen, never flews. There's a little bit more unknown. We know exactly what Ron Rivera is. So he's maybe not the worst coach in football, but he's probably the guy that has like the lowest upside in football, if that makes sense. Yeah. So let's go. uh, Your 26 is Josh McDaniels. He's my 29. He's the last guy I really have much to say about. Uh, Here's a fun stat for you. The Raiders were three and four last season when leading by double digits in the fourth quarter. They literally had a losing record in games where they had a double-digit fourth-quarter lead. They they set an NFL record for most losses in a single season when leading by more than a touchdown at halftime. An NFL record. This is his second head coaching stint. After the Denver stint where he pissed off Jay Cutler and then got rid of him. By the way, how's Derek Carr doing? I mean... This guy routinely, he goes to New England. He does a good job calling plays. He leaves. He's a pompous jerk to everybody on his staff. Everybody hates him. He pisses his quarterback off. He gets fired, goes back to New England, is okay for a few years, goes somewhere else, rinse and repeat. Like, I don't know where Mike McDaniels is going to be head coach after he gets fired from the Raiders. But he's going to go back to New England first and call the offense for a couple years, and then he's going to go somewhere else and make another quarterback angry. Like He's the bottom guy on my list. Josh McDaniels should not be an NFL head coach. Yeah, I I probably agree. I think he was a good OC in his time in New England, so I always kind of hang on to that. With Bulls, Allen, and Everflues, those are just like 
three defensive guys who I would never even consider hiring. So that's kind of why I put them at the bottom. But yeah, there's definitely a clear bottom five to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. So the other guys, you could give me in any order. Bowles, Allen, Everflus. We actually have them in that same order. You just have McDaniel at 26 and I have him at 29. But the one you could talk I'll, me into any different order there, to be honest. The one thing I'll say about Eberflus was if the goal last year was to lose close games respectfully and to tank in the the most like ambitious tanking of all time, then Eberflus might be like the best coach in football. I might totally have the situation read wrong. But that guy lost close games in remarkable fashion last year. He's the, the anti-Kevin O'Connell. Game. Yeah, the Bears were in every game. Like, they had a chance in every game, and they lost every game. Like, it was it, – we would come on every week, and I swear, it'd be like, the Bears were looking really good through three quarters. Like, it's like <laughs> Then no, the wheels yeah. came off. Yeah, it was every week. Like, it was shocking. All right. Well, we didn't think it was fair to rank, you know, the rookie head coaches that we haven't seen yet. D'Amico Ryan's in Houston, Jonathan Gannon in Arizona and Shane Steichen in Indianapolis. So we're not going to put them on this list, but what I do want to do is at what point, like, let's just start with D'Amico. I think we're all the highest on D'Amico. At what number on your list would you rather have D'Amico than the coach you have listed there? I'm a little higher on Steichen than D'Amico just because of the offensive aspect okay, okay. of it. Um, so I would probably put Steichen like right behind. It's either right behind McDaniel or right behind Smith. It's one, It's either like he's in that tier with like Zach Taylor, LaFleur, and O'Connell in some capacity um, okay. in how I would look at Steichen. Um, and then Ryan's is like right after Smith probably like I'd rather have D'Amico Ryan's and Sean McDermott because of the the upside you know what I think we both can do on our coach rankings though I What's think that? we can I think we can both put Jonathan Gannon 32 yeah there I would rather give me jo- as much as I just ripped on Josh McDaniels give me Josh McDaniels as your head coach over Jonathan Gannon I do not understand how he became a head coach while Agino Evero and Lou Anarumo did not get one if you're going to go defensive. But uh, I would, I, I'm similar to you. I, I would have Ryan's slightly ahead of Steichen. I just think Ryan's is one of those rare defensive guys that can totally take opposing offenses out of a game. And so I would probably put both of them right, like right after Mike Vrabel. So like number 15 on my list, if you're Kevin O'Connell or lower on my list, I would rather have D'Amico Ryans or Shane Steichen than you. Other than that, I, I I would stick with my coach, and then I'd have Jonathan Gannon at 32. Yeah, I think when we tweet this graphic out, we should put Gannon 32 and leave 30 and 31 empty. <laughs> okay. Done. <laughs> Done. So, all right. Well, that is going to about wrap it up here. Uh, we will tweet this graphic out if you guys are listening on an audio format. I know it's hard to keep track of at times. Uh, if you're watching here live, you can obviously see it up here on the screen. So, uh, Mark, that's going to about wrap this one up. When we were 40 minutes in and still in the top 10, I didn't think we were going to get through this tonight. But here we are, hour and 11 minutes, and we're done. So uh, before we get out of here, do you have any final thoughts, Any anything that caught you by surprise, or anything you want to shout out? No, but I do have a buddy texting me who hates Kyle Shanahan who is uh... – roasting me up for having him first on this list and i imagine 
that will probably be the leading reaction from this is people, the Eagles fans that hate Kyle Shanahan angry at me. Uh, guys, he made Brock Purdy look like an NFL quarterback. He made him look like a top 10 NFL quarterback. He won like 10 straight. Whatever. We listened to the beginning part of the podcast. We argued about it. But yeah. Yeah. Follow I me, hate... Tough Cover Radio Show, 11 to 1 every Saturday at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. Yeah. Yeah, I hate Kyle Shanahan with every fiber of my being, but he's got to be up high. I don't have him one, but he's got to be up there high. So, all right. Well, that is going to do it here uh, for episode number 111 of Chalk Talk. Thank you to those of you that joined us live. Those of you that are listening later, we really appreciate you. If you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, Smash that subscribe button and turn on notifications so you don't miss the next episode. Drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you stream your podcasts. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. You can follow Mark on Twitter at MarkHenryJr. Underscore. You can follow this podcast at ChalkTalk underscore NFL where we'll be tweeting out clips throughout the week and this graphic. So we will catch you guys next time when we talk about some undecided topic that will be enthralling and creative and will capture your imagination and will definitely take over an hour. And so we will catch you guys next week for that podcast.